Turn in your Bible, please, to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, and we read verses 1 through 11. Philippians chapter 1, verses 1 through 11. <clears throat> Paul was in a Roman prison when he wrote this. This is the church which was the first church established on European soil. In one sense, all of us trace our spiritual lineage back to Philippi because we are descendants of the European Christians. The gospel came to us from Europe. And for the very first time, the gospel was preached in Europe by the Apostle Paul at the city of Philippi. A lady was the first convert out by the riverside. As far as we can tell, a jailer was the second convert. No, a, another lady was the second convert, a woman of the streets. And the third convert was a jailer and his family. And on and on that church began to win people to Jesus. Some years later, Paul was in prison under Nero, the emperor. And you would expect him to write and say, now please pray for me. But that isn't what Paul did. Remarkable is this chapter. The first 11 verses, will you listen to it carefully? Paul and Timothy, the servants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who were at Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Grace be unto you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making requests with joy. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Even as it is right for me to think this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my bonds and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you're all partakers of my grace. For God is my witness how greatly I long after you all in the tender mercies of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. Philippian Christians, please pray for me. I'm in trouble, I'm in a prison, and I'm scared, and I want out of it. <laughs> you don't read a word of that in Paul's work. Not one word. Paul says, I pray for you every day. Every day, I hold you up in remembrance. And then he specifically had a fourfold prayer that he prayed in. I don't know, but what he prayed this every day. He said, I pray for you every day. And he said, I'm confident of this very thing, that he who hath begun this good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. And then he let us in on the secret of what his prayer is. Now I would like to say something that everybody here could say amen to. Prayer is the mightiest force in the universe. I don't think we would ever vote against that statement. We believe it. We know that prayer works. We know that God answers prayer. Prayer is the force 
that moves the hand of God. In the revival meeting we were in at Ashland, we had a young man in his 20s, maybe 30s, that came almost every night. He was lost. That church had prayed for him for a long time. On Thursday night, a group of men met together with a pastor at 6.30. And they prayed for a number of people, but they claimed that man in prayer. Almost everybody in the church had witnessed him, all the soul winners. The pastor had been in his home a number of times. We had been to see one of the men, one of the deacons, his name Brother Gary. Gary said, I've been to see that man over and over and over again. I want to see him saved. That night at 6.30, they claimed him for Christ in prayer. They just went to their knees, and from 6.30 to 7, they prayed for him. He came to the service, and when the invitation was given, just as it began, he stepped out in the aisle, Amen. coming to Christ. Amen. God answers prayer, all kinds of prayers. I remember one night in a meeting here years ago, we had prayed for a man, and many of our people had gone to visit him over and over again. And he had come several nights to the revival meeting, but not every night. And we met early before the service and just prayed for God to touch this dear man. And when the service came, he wasn't there. When the service started, he wasn't there. And about halfway through the service, just before the message, I noticed he came in the back door. And I just prayed, and I'm sure a lot of our men prayed for this dear man. When the invitation was given that night, he walked down the aisle giving his heart to Jesus. He told me after the service, I was out driving a truck. It was about, he said, I think it was about 6.15 or 6.30. And uh, he said, I was driving, I was going to another town. And he said, just, just some, somehow there came over my heart that I ought to go to church tonight. And he said, I kept on driving. And then right there in that car, in that truck, I talked to God. And God told me to turn around and go back to church. He came back to the service. And that's the service when he was saved. People prayed for him. I believe in prayer. And I know you believe in prayer. This is a praying church. Our people love God and love to pray. And Paul, writing here, said, I pray for you every day. I wonder if one of the secrets of Paul's life is the fact that he prayed so much. Is this the reason we read so much that Paul wrote? Because he was a great prayer. Is this the reason he was able to win so many people to Jesus? Because he prayed. Is this the reason the gospel of Christ was planted on every continent and isle before the end of the first century, much of it by the preaching of the apostle Paul? Is it because he prayed? Is this, is this the reason so many young people were influenced to faith in Christ and to go on with God like Timothy and Titus and some others? Because... Paul prayed. Well, he writes to the Corinthians, and I mean to the Philippians, and he says, I'm praying for you. I'm praying earnestly 
for God's hand upon you. And he says, there are four things that I'm praying for you. First of all, look in verse 9. He said, this I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment. I'm praying that your church at Philippi will be a church that reaches out in love. That you love people. Love covers a multitude of sins. When you love somebody, you don't wonder, well, are they always asking for a handout? You try to meet their needs because you love. When you love somebody, you don't wonder, well, does he come to church all the time or do I need to meet his need where he is? When you love someone, you love beyond the color boundaries. You love beyond the economic boundaries. You love beyond those boundaries that make some of us less lovable than others. This I pray that you, your love may abound in judgment and in knowledge. There are three kinds of love. They're translated love in English, in Greek, eros, phileo, and agape. Eros is physical kind of love, an infatuation between a man and woman. Phileo is a fellowship kind of love where we enjoy doing things together. Fellowship, what a joy divine, what a fellowship. The church is a fellowship of God's people. But the word used here is agapao, agape, God's unselfish love. The love that sent Jesus to leave the glories of heaven and come and die on an old rugged cross. Paul says, I pray that this kind of love, the agape of God, may abound in your life in all knowledge and all judgment that God may have the glory you know our church needs a baptism of love a baptism of the fire of God the fire of love where we love one another we can hardly wait to get to church because we love each other we hardly wait for the choir to start singing because we love to hear the choir we love to hear the special music. We, we just love God with all of our hearts, and we love one another. And Paul said this, I pray that your love may abound in all knowledge and in all judgment. That your love not, might not be just a syrupy, ooey-gooey kind of thing, but that it might abound in ba being based on judgment and knowledge. Judgment and knowledge knowledge of the Word of God, knowledge of the will of God, judgment, discernment concerning these things. And then secondly, he says, I pray, verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that you might have discernment about things that are excellent. Always we're faced with the good and the best. Most Christians are not faced with the bad and the good. Oh, I say that advisedly. We are faced with the bad and the good. But more than common, God's people are faced with good things and the excellent thing. For example, it certainly is good to make good grades. Should I stay home and study? Or if my church is in a service, in a service on Sunday night, should I go to God's house? Now that's not bad against good. That's good as verses 
Excellent. And Paul says, I pray for the congregation at Philippi. The thing that will make you like a glowing ember in the sky is for you to be able to discern the excellent things. To know what is excellent and involve yourself in the excellent thing. They that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament. They that turn many to righteousness as the stars forever and ever. He that winneth souls is wise. Wise is that person. Discerning is that person who pours his life into the life of another. Soul winning is more than just going and knocking on a door and inviting somebody. That's part of it. That's a very much of a part of it. I mentioned this morning in Sunday school that I think one of the greatest galaxies in God's stardom will be a precious lady in our church that most of us would not think of as a soul winner. Carol Blanchard. I don't think she's able to be here today. She's been in the hospital. She rode with the Washeteria one day and a fine young man who had just moved to Bowling Green came in that Washeteria and Carol Blanchard met him, met him and invited him to come to Glendale. And the next Sunday he and his wife came and it wasn't long until Mel Poe gave his heart to Jesus. Discern things that are excellent. Pouring our life into someone else that can be brought to faith in Christ. Not just a one-time visit, but going again and again and again. And I suppose one of the greatest victories and joys in life is when you find somebody that's hard to win. And you talk to them over and over again, and they come to Christ. And what a blessing that is. That's discernment. Paul said, I pray that the church will have discernment. I pray that God will give Glendale Baptist Church discernment, to give all of us a spirit of discernment. What is his direction? What is good and what is excellent for, for, for the will of God for this church? I've wondered sometimes if we would be wise to start additional churches in this city. Start a mission here and a mission there and another mission. Years ago, God laid that on our heart and we started a mission. It is now the Victory Baptist Church. There are other areas in the city where there are needs. Would God give us discernment? And God put it on the hearts of some of his people here to help start a work like that. I pray that you may have discernment, Paul says, concerning the will of God, concerning the leadership of the Holy Spirit, to know what God is telling us to do. There's a third thing. Verse 10, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. This I pray, Paul said to the Philippian Christians, that you may be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. You know, there were a lot of shipwrecks in the New Testament. Hermanius was one. Demas, what a sad person, Demas. Mentioned three times in the scriptures, a fellow helper of Paul. And then in 2, Thess 2 Timothy chapter 4, Demas hath forsaken me. This scripture says that you may be sincere and without offense, that you may keep on keeping on. Now listen, beloved, 
God's people. Those of you who know Christ, there's a price to pay to go on with God. It is not a simple thing in the days in which we live to go on with God. We need to put blinders on our eyes so that we look straight toward heaven. The poet said the world is too much with us, getting and spending and so on. And we're surrounded constantly by things that would tug at our attention and tug at our heart and tug at our mind and get our minds off the main thing. And so often we chase rabbits. And those rabbits lead us awry down a path of ungodly living. Holiness belongs to God's people. Without holiness, no man shall see the Lord. Some have wondered what that verse meant. I think it has a number of meanings, but one of the meanings is without holiness of life, you cannot understand the will of God. You cannot understand the purpose of God. And you get so sidetracked, you begin to say, well, there's really nothing wrong with this and nothing wrong with this and really nothing wrong with this thing over here because you have gotten your heart and, heart and life out of the hand of God and there's no more holiness in your life. We've forgotten 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, you're a holy people. You're a peculiar people. You're a people of my own. You're a treasure, a unique treasure for me. Be holy, for I am holy. Set your affection on things above, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. And do not set your affection on things below. Mortify the deeds of the flesh. Mortify the flesh itself. Put it to death. And keep looking up. This I pray, that you may be sincere. Oh, listen. Levity is all right. I wish I knew how to tell some jokes. We've had preachers come and tell all kinds of jokes. And all, I always laugh. They're always funny. Sometimes I get so tickled. One time when one of the preachers was here, I got so tickled I couldn't get concentrated again. Have you ever been tickled in church when you shouldn't be? I just had a hard time getting back. Well, I don't tell jokes. I don't know how. If I told one, nobody would laugh. And there's nothing wrong with telling jokes, but I want to tell you. There needs to be a gravity and a sincerity about the believer so that people will know when you're sincere and when there is some light levity. But the person that is just filled with levity all the time and joke after joke, just constantly one big joke, has a hard time being sincere. I believe God's will is for God's people who are God's church to be sincere, grave, I don't mean subtracted humor. You know I don't mean that. But we need to be sincere and we need to be without offense. If I've wounded any soul today, if I've caused one foot to go astray, if I've walked in mine own willful way, dear Lord, dear Lord, forgive. We need to be apologizing, apologizing people. And we hurt somebody, we need to apologize. Get it right. Sometimes we hurt somebody and we don't even know it. Wise is that one that comes and says, if you, if you can't live with it, you know, if, like if Johnny steps all over my toes and hurts me, and I can ignore it, and he does. <laughs> and I can ignore it, 
well, that's fine. I don't have to say anything to him. But if it gets to irking me, and deep inside it just begins to move around in my heart, and I can't get over it, and, and I hold it against him, I need to go to him and just say, Johnny, I, I took it wrong, and I'm sorry. I want you to forgive me for having this grudge, and I want you to not talk to me like that anymore. <laughs> now, I just picked on Brother Johnny. I didn't mean that, you know. But you know, we need to be sincere and without offense, not offending one another. And when we do offend one another, make it right. Do whatever we can to make it right. And notice he says, we need to be that way until the day of Christ. How long? Just keep on, keep it on. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Do unto others as you would that they would do to you. A lot of times we twist that around and make it do to them before they can do to you. But we need to have the golden rule policy in our lives. Now look, look what else. Verse 11. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. God wants us to be filled with His fruits. Now what is the fruit of a Christian? The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, gentleness, and all those wonderful th characteristics. And when we're filled with the Holy Spirit... Those will be the characteristics of our lives, filled with those fruits. But the fruit of a Christian is another Christian. The fruit of a pear tree is a pear. The fruit of an apple tree is an apple. Now one of the byproducts of those trees is shade. And a cool breeze. Isn't it wonderful on a hot day to get under an old apple tree? In the shade of the old apple tree? That's a byproduct. You come and there's no leaves on that tree, just briars, there's no shade there. But one of the byproducts of an apple tree is the shade and the coolness that comes by just sitting under it. But the fruit of an apple tree is an, is an apple. One of the byproducts of a Christian filled with the Holy Spirit is gentleness, kindness, meekness, all those wonderful attributes. But the fruit is another believer. The fruit of the Philippian Christians were additional Christians going out into the Philipp streets of Philippi and the city of Philippi and the, all the regions round about under the ends of the earth to win precious people to Jesus. That's the fruit. And Paul said, this is what I pray, that there'll be fruit. And I believe God would pray that for our church, that there would be fruit. Now, do you know that there can be no real prayer unless Jesus is in our heart? The scripture says, whatsoever you things you ask in faith believing, whatever you ask in my name, this is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, in order to have faith for God to answer, in order to have the confidence to ask in his will, we have to be related to him spiritually. Every junior boy and girl needs a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. You need to know that Jesus is living in your heart. If you have never received Him, you can't get your prayer answered. It will hinder your prayer. You can't be mighty in prayer without one Jesus. Every teenager in this auditorium today needs Jesus personally. Every adult needs Jesus personally. Without Him, there's no certainty of answering prayer. And I want to ask you this morning, are there Christians? Do you know Christ?
Do you have Him living in your heart? Are you obeying Him? If you've been saved, have you followed Him in baptism? Are you going faithfully to His house? Are you doing His commandments? You see, when we abide in Him and He abides in us, we can ask what we will and it shall be done unto us. The prayer of faith shall save the sick. But those of us who are going to pray have to be first of all related to God through Jesus Christ. And secondly, we must be obedient to Him. And this is the reason Paul said, I pray that that Philippian church will be filled with the fruits of righteousness on and on and on because you will be a people of prayer. May we pray. Every head bowed, every eye closed, please. Our Father, we thank Thee for the privilege of prayer. We ask that just now, someone in this place or who has listened by radio, who has never received Christ as Savior, will open his heart to Jesus. And this will be a day of victory in prayer. Father, make us a praying people. Help us to wrestle with God until there are answers to prayer. Thank you that the people at Glendale have known how to pray through the years. And we pray that will put a spirit of prayer upon us. A spirit of concern. That we will lift before thee all of our burdens and go to thee for the directions and talk to thee about everything. And that one person here today who is not related to God through Jesus, never having been saved, may come to Christ today. In Jesus' name, amen. May we stand, please. <clears throat> Just as I am without one plea, but that thy blood was shed for me, O Lamb of God, I come to thee. Listen to God's invitation, page 249. You'll find that in your book, 249. You've listened so attentively today. God bless you. Now listen carefully. If you're not saved, if you've never given your heart to Christ, or if you have not obeyed the Lord, and somehow there's been sort of a, a distance between your heart and God, you'd like to get that distance out of the way, and you'd like to come and recommit your life to Christ, or come and give your heart to Him as your personal Savior, confess Him as your Lord, or move your membership to this church. God help you to do it while we begin to sing who will be the first to come today. God help you to come.